Let me just read to you then from Ephesians chapter 6. Just read a few verses from verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. This is, of course, the context of the armour of God, the whole armour of God, it's entitled. So Paul is finishing this letter and he says, Finally, my brethren, take note of that. This is what I'm saying to you as my last uh, important vital statement finally let me say this finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might that's what is encouraging you to do be strong in the lord don't be strong yourself don't be strong in your own strength but be strong in the lord and the power of his might why is that because he's going to begin to talk about the wiles the craftiness of the devil. And in your might, and my power, we're useless, powerless against such a foe. So we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. We are to do something. Put it on, he said, what I've given you. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wires of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God. Take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's where we'll finish. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can live this life and we can kind of not think enough about things. How often do we really think that there is actually principalities, that there is actually evil spirits, that there is wickedness, in the high places, that we're not dealing primarily with flesh and blood, but with these powers of the air, the prince of the power of the air, Satan is called, and he took with him a third of the angels of heaven, and they have more power than we do. It is real, it is true, and there is a darkness in this age, just like there was a darkness in that age, and really, it's the same darkness. There's nothing new under the sun. Maybe different details. The principles are still there. So, so far we've looked at two pieces of armour. Let us remind ourselves of a few things, as we ought to do. The armour is God's armour. It is not invented. It's not designed or shaped by you and me. But it is given to us for our defence. Defence against what? Well, we've already said but as Christians, we are constantly, constantly, yes, bombarded and attacked by the wiles of the devil. We're bombarded by his trickery, his scheming, and his craftiness, his cunning. We find ourselves inevitably wrestling, not against flesh and blood in the greatest sense we, we do, fight against flesh and blood. We looked at this, our own flesh, the flesh and blood of others, other people who cause us trouble. But in the greatest sense, 
We wrestle with principalities, with powers, with rulers of darkness of this age. And that includes, in some ways, those pawns that the devil uses in the high places, in the government, in the schools, sadly. We fight against them. And we fight against spiritual hosts of wickedness. The devil and his angels are ever busy. They never sleep. They never slumber. It was whilst our first parents were tending the Garden of Eden that the serpent went to Eve with his wiles. His cunning. His trickery. And it was in the wilderness when Christ, at the time that he was fasting, when he was hungry, that the devil went to him to try to repeat his success with the first Adam. Eve was deceived. Adam blatantly disobeyed God and joined in with his wife. Jesus, however, was not moved. The second Adam, he did not move. As we saw when we looked at the girdle of truth, Jesus responded to Satan's test with what was written in the word of truth. It is written, he said, three times. He didn't just turn around and say, hey there, mate, I'm the son of God. You've got no power over me. Well, he hasn't. He actually is, in a sense, the pawn of God. But nevertheless, he gave us something to look at. He gave us an example and he said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And we have the knowledge that the word of God is truth and has power. Truth underpins everything. And it brings everything together. If we don't have that truth, if we are not convinced by it, if truth does not have its home within us, everything else falls apart. If we do not own the truth, and then by natural succession, the breastplate of righteousness won't fit. It won't be held together. It will just slip off our bodies. If we know the truth as it is in Christ, or if we, should I say, if we don't know it, we have no idea of the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, then we won't have any real understanding of our own righteousness being filthy rags. That's why there are so many self-righteous people in this world, because they haven't seen the truth. They haven't seen to understand their own righteousness is just dark and black and filthy and horrible and dirty. Nor do they see, or would we see, if we don't have truth, all that Christ has done to give us his righteousness. So Paul, in using this analogy of the different parts of the soldier's army, helps us to see with the girdle, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, that every part of us is involved in this warfare, and not one part can be neglected. This we can clearly see in another of Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians 12, where he is speaking about spiritual gifts and the unity in diversity. The church is one body. The church is one body under one head, Jesus Christ. That's what it says in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 12. But that one whole body, we're taught, is made up of individual and different parts. And these different parts, they do different things. They have different gifts. They have different strengths. 
Not everybody has strength in one area. Not everybody is gifted in another area. They're all different. But what Paul is keen to identify here is that all parts are required if there is to be a whole. There are some more prominent parts and others we may see as less honourable. Yet all parts make up an essential whole. It doesn't matter if it's the little toe or the eye, the elbow or the hands. Every part is essential to the working of the body. It doesn't matter how small it is. If we had something missing in our body, even if our little finger was missing in our body, we wouldn't be whole and we would miss it and we would see just how important that part is. And it's the same then with God's armour. He has given them to us as a complete whole. None of them are to be neglected. We can't just pick those that we might like. You know, I'll go straight for the sword. I want to swing this sword around. But I'll have no defence on my torso. I'll have no breastplate to defend myself with. No shield, no helmet. I open myself up. All I want to do is swing a sword, leave the rest. Can't do that. We have to have the whole. The feet then might be seen as one of these lesser parts. This says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But as with the rest, it is important that we don't put too much emphasis on the allegory, but rather what is said by this as an example. Understanding physically what Paul meant by our feet being shod helps us to understand what is being taught in a spiritual sense. He uses an anthropomorphism, something that is a man-made example for us to understand. We know what feet are because we have them. We know what armour is because we've seen it in the examples of our lives. Maybe we've not seen a Roman soldier. But we've seen the, war, the, the, the wars, maybe some world wars of the past, and we see the armour that the army has today. We, we understand what it is. So we need to just briefly have a look at the soldier's feet. The, the shoes or the, uh, the boots, maybe they, they were termed, were called caligae. Caligae. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. It's uh, probably a Latin or a Roman word. That's, that's what it's called, Caligae. They were heavy-soled boots, and they were worn by Roman soldiers of all ranks, up to and including the centurion. The Caligae resembled sandals, but were actually designed for both marching and for fighting. The open design allowed for the passage of air to the feet to reduce the likelihood of blisters forming while marching as well as other conditions such as tinea and what is today called trench foot. Socks were not normally worn with the caligae, although in colder climates such as in Britain, woolen socks were often used. Caligae incorporated three layers of leather, with the top one forming the outer shell. These boots were laced up in the centre of the foot and onto the top of the ankle. Iron hobnails were hammered into the soles of the boots to provide grip, reinforcement, and to act as a weapon, allowing the soldier to injure an enemy combatant through a stamping action. So these hobnails on the bottom of their feet were used as a weapon to stamp on their enemy. Sounds quite grotesque, doesn't it? 
Matthew Henry says these shoes or greaves of brass or the like were formerly part of the military armor. You read that in 1 Samuel 17, 6. The use of them was to defend the feet against the gall traps and sharp sticks, which were wont to be laid privily in the way, to obstruct the marching of the enemy, those who fell upon them being unfit to march. Basically, they used to sharpen sticks and they used to hide them in the ground with the point forward so that anyone before these inventions of these boots were walking and marching, the armies would stand on these spears that were buried in the sand. That was it. Once you stood on them and the spike went into your foot, you were done for. You could no longer walk. You were useless. And so they made these caligae, these shoes. So Paul says this. He, he looks at the Roman soldier that's guarding him, that's keeping him in prison, and he uses this example, and he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Surely, I believe, we understand what is meant by the statement, the gospel of peace. And this is, of course, the message of the gospel of Christ, this message of peace that God brings between himself and man through Jesus Christ, through that work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver us from our sin and the righteous judgment of God, making us a new creature in Christ altogether. That's the message of the gospel of peace. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? You stand in the gospel. What do you stand on? Your feet. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So that's what the gospel of peace is all about. But the question we have this evening is what is meant by the preparation of the gospel of peace? What does it mean when he says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace? So Paul exhorts his readers to stand against the wiles of the devil, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. You see how often he uses this terminology of standing. So to withstand is to oppose, it's to stand against and to resist. It's almost like putting your back foot back and your front one forward and holding in case something heavy comes against you to guard yourself being knocked over. You resist whatever comes against you. The hobnails in the soldier's shoe enabled them to have this kind of firm footing. It's said there by Matthew Henry and other descriptions that it was grip. You, they used it to grip the ground in which they were walking like spikes of a running shoe. Not only that, but the thick leather bottom protected the soles of their feet, as we've said, against these hidden traps. These consisted of spikes in the ground. It would be excruciating to step on such a thing. And I would be, you would be, no doubt, absolutely rendered useless should one of those go through the bottom of your foot. In regards to the preparation of the gospel of peace, then, some have, have interpreted it to mean 
being prepared to go out and preach the gospel. That we are prepared to go and deliver the word of truth. Paul in Romans 10, 15 and referring to Isaiah 52, 7 says, How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This, this conclusion about this idea or this interpretation can be formed on the basis of searching cross-references, maybe concordances in the reference to feet. And whilst cross-references and concordances can be very useful when they're used correctly, they can prove troublesome if they're not. The context of Scripture must always be first our first part of call when interpreting what's being said. So having the feet shod in preparation to go forth and preach the gospel of peace cannot be the meaning here because the context of the whole armour of God is all about our defence against the wiles of the devil. It wouldn't make any sense for there to be a sudden change about, you know, here's the armour, the devil's coming against you, but here's some shoes that I'm telling you to go and preach the gospel. The context isn't there. It doesn't tell us that. We're still dealing with the fact that we're putting on this armour as a defensive pack to help us against the devil. Paul's teaching us here about how to face and defend ourselves against the onslaught of the enemy, not about how to evangelize the world. I mean, there are plenty of texts that encourage believers to preach the gospel. We ought to be witnesses for Christ. Of course we should. I mean, the Great Commission is for all believers, as it says in Matthew 28, to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That is a command to all Christians. So we are to heed this. We are to heed that command to go. He said this before he went back to his father. It was vitally important. But the context clearly states it right there. But in this text that we're dealing with, the context is spiritual defense against the devil. It is not about evangelism. So this word preparation, this word preparation means readiness or preparedness. It speaks of the condition of a person as prepared and ready. So when the enemy engages, we are to be prepared and we are to be ready. We need those spikes on our feet to dig in, to be firm and steady. And as Paul said a number of times, to stand and not to slip and not to slide and not to be unsteady. We need to guard against falling and tripping. This is what our shoes do. And you have different shoes for different things, but we are to guard against tripping up and slipping over. Athletes have spikes on their running shoes which grip the ground and enable them to be steady and to keep in lane as they run. 
Now, I'm sure everybody has been to a stony beach before. I've been to a stony beach before where the rocks seem to be sharp everywhere you tread your feet. And so we, we kind of, we go into the sea and we're enjoying the sea and there's a soft sand underneath us and it's time to come out. We run out of the sea and we, we find ourselves running up the firm, hard sand and then we get to those stones. What do we do? Well, we don't run on them, do we? We run out the sea, we run up the sand, and then we slow down and we start to tiptoe and gently put our feet on these stones because we know that they're sharp. We do it as, as gently as we can. Our heads are down and we're watching where we're going so we don't tread on something that's going to hurt us and minimize the possibility of cuts and bruises. See, our focus would be in the wrong place. Having protection on our feet would enable us then to hold our eyes forward, being ready for what's ahead. I wouldn't be looking down. <clears throat> no point in me going out to battle against an enemy if I'm looking down, wondering if I'm going to hurt my feet. I can't see anything that's coming my way. So if the conclusion is that we are to be prepared to stand fast and be ready, to be firm, to be confident, to be assured, to stand without slipping and falling. What then is the connection to the gospel of peace? Especially if the context does not imply putting our shoes on to go and preach the gospel. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 to stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. <coughs> we mentioned this uh, perhaps last time. No, the time before it was, when we were talking about girding our loins with truth. We mentioned about standing fast in the faith, because faith and truth are synonymous here. Faith and truth are synonymous. The gospel of peace is the truth. It is the faith. We are to stand fast in the gospel of peace. That's where we are to stand. Let me read to you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I'm going to read something else at the end. But <clears throat> Excuse me. He helps us when he says this. As I look at the church today, I see large numbers of people whose feet are not shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I see them slipping and sliding, evangelicals as well as others. Men are no longer standing. They are no longer resolute. They no longer know what to believe, and they do not hold to it, come what may. Compromise is all too common. Be pleasant. Be nice. Be affable are today's slogans. Many Protestants seem to be ready to return to Rome at any moment. It is because they have not got their feet shod with the equipment of the gospel of peace. They are slipping and they are sliding, shifting and moving, not knowing where they are, and the devil is rejoicing in the meantime. This is applicable to churches as well as to individuals. Do you know what to believe? Is there anything for which you are prepared to stand? I do not apologize for putting such questions. It seems to me that people today are ready to compromise on everything.
Martin Lloyd-Jones preached the sermons, uh, the series on Ephesians between 1954 and 1962. Now that's what we've just read there all those years ago. Is this not all the more obvious today to us? The things that he says right there, even then, uh, 60, 70, 80 years ago, they were happening then, <clears throat> and they're so obvious now. Both individuals and churches all across this globe are compromising on the gospel of peace. Fundamental truths are being watered down, even ignored in favour of moving with the times. You know, we're in the, in the 21st century. And they preach a message that is apparently fit for the 21st century. We've moved on. We're not living in ancient times. This is the 21st century. We need to adapt to society and preach the, the Bible to adapt to that society. You know, one of the obvious, obvious ones in our time is, is the issue of biblical marriage. Biblical marriage is being questioned, not only questioned, but redefined. We expect that in the world, don't we? Even if we feel like it's grotesque, we expect it. But it's in the so-called church as well. I sent you a video recently from my brother's church. Watch on. How they made a stand. They had schools all around them who would oftentimes go into their church. It's a big church. And they'd use it for, for certain things around the year. The school's teaching on certain things to do with the church, the Harvest Festivals, Easter, things like that. Or they'd go in and they'd have a look around. It's quite a, quite a big church with all the, all the kind of trimmings of you'd expect in, a, in, a, in an old-type church. And they'd go in and they'd do lessons there. But recently there was a, a post put out by the, the mayor of the, of the town. It was in June, which is Pride Month. And it was something along the lines of, I hope all you hobophobes have a terrible month. And they responded to that and said that they were disgusted by it and that they stand on the principles of biblical marriage. And now, one by one, every school has emailed them and told them, we are severing our ties with you. This is where we are. This is the life in which we live. This is the country. This is the world in which we live. Sadly, isn't it? Sadly, even in the church, the Anglican church, the Catholic church probably, Methodist church, are they churches? No, not in my opinion, because they do not hold to biblical truth. This is what it is to be prepared, to have in our feet shod in preparation of the gospel. The authority of the sufficiency of Scripture is continuously attacked. And the words of Paul in Galatians 1, 6 to 10 speak volumes even in our world today. The Bible is always relevant. Paul says this, and he's saying it to Christians. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, as apostles, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, 
If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Sadly, in this world, yes, most people do. Paul says, for if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. There's so much today in our Christian society, in Christendom, that message there needs to be preached. Battles and wars have been won because those in conflict got themselves into the correct position. We cannot go out and fight the enemy if we do not know what our position is. If we do not know where we stand, how can we stand firm? How can we stand firm? We need to gird ourselves, our loins, our waist with truth. Put upon ourselves the breastplate of righteousness that we know that our righteousness is in Christ and it's in him alone and no other. And we must prepare our feet. We must be shod with the preparedness to stand and to resist and to hold on to the truth. Let me read to you this portion from Martin Lloyd-Jones as we finish. He says this, But our standing applies not only to doctrine, it applies to the whole life. Once you have come into this life, you have to take your stand unflinchingly on the Lord's side. When you meet your old friends from the world and they propose that you go on doing what you used to do with them, you know that you cannot and you refuse to do so. You stand resolutely. You do not slide towards them. No. Have your feet shod with the preparedness of the gospel of peace. Once you come into this life and realize that it is entirely different from your former life, you must say, I stand here. This is where I stand and I won't be moved. You may be tempted by someone you like very much, but you must say, I cannot betray my Lord. I am pledged to obey his commandments. My feet are shod. I am not moving. We are not meant to behave ridiculously, of course, but to stand on principles and to apply those principles. This applies intellectually, doctrinally, and in conduct and behavior. It applies in every department of life. Are your feet shod? That is the great need of this hour. It is the call of God, I believe, to the church and to every Christian at this present time. God is looking for people who will stand. I believe he is doing in these days what he did in the days of Gideon. The hosts of Midian had come up, and a large army of about 32,000 was gathered together by Israel. But God reduced the army to a mere handful. Of the 32,000, there were only 300 whom God could trust. He knew these would stand, that they would never quit, that they would never compromise. So he dismissed the rest, and with the little 300, the remnant, he discomfited and routed the hosts of Midian. God has always done his greatest work through a remnant. Get rid of the notion of numbers. What God wants is a man or a woman who is prepared to stand, whose feet are shod with the equipment of the gospel of peace. He knows 
that he can rely upon such, that they will stand no matter what is happening around about them. Are you standing? Do you propose to stand? Are you ready to stand? Have you truly come into the Christian life or is one foot in the world and one foot in the church? Which is it? You cannot serve God and mammon. You may think that you can. You will soon find that you cannot. You will be defeated and you will be miserable. And when you face God in the judgment, you will be ashamed of yourself. Have your feet shod with the preparedness, the firmness, the equipment of the gospel of peace. Stand ye that are men. Now serve him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us, we pray, in this generation. When it seems that truth is falling down all around us. Lord, the truth in the world in that sense we're not speaking of, but the truth that we see in the churches. So, so many are adhering and sticking to the world around them and changing their values, changing the truth of the scriptures to fit in the world around them because they do not stand, that they do not shod their feet with the gospel of peace and the preparation of that gospel. Lord, I pray for every one of us here tonight. I pray for this church that we will always stand upon the truth of your word. Lord, it's one thing to say it, and it's another to be faced with something so terrifying and to continue to stand. Lord, may we be those people. Make us those people. Give us, give us hearts of, of, of boldness. May we be like those first believers who stood before the Sanhedrin and say, whether you think that it seems right before men, we must serve the living God. Help us, we say, Lord God, to stand in this day as things come along that we may have to face, where we have to make a choice, where we join the world or we stand for the scriptures and we are persecuted, alienated, and where we are, our, our reputation is destroyed. Lord God, may we be those that stand. May we wear this armor continually, and I pray you help us to do so. Help us to understand what it means to put it on and to walk and to live, and to move, and to have our being in Christ Jesus. Lord, this is a dark world, but this is not a melancholic message. This is a message of hope because you have given us that armor, and you are with us. And no matter how powerful, how strong the enemy and those, those, uh, uh, those leaders of the darkness of this age, and no matter how powerful they are and where they stand, you are stronger. And as we began, as we began this evening, as we began these messages in Ephesians, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Lord, may we continue to be so. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.